Hey everyone, my name is Cal Walters, and what you're about to watch or listen to is by far the most important podcast episode I've ever done. This is really more than an episode. This is meant to be a tribute to Chris Gakey, a dear friend, leader, and inspiration to everyone that knew him. Even from a young age, Chris was adventurous and he was born to be a leader. He grew up in Apple Valley, Minnesota, where he loved building forts in the woods behind his house. And he often gathered and encouraged his friends. He excelled in school through all of his years and he was active in music, mock trial and various sports. As he grew older, his faith in God grew and he participated in many church activities and mission trips. He was accepted into West Point with the class of 2008 where he graduated sixth in his class. And then after college, Chris was commissioned as an infantry officer and he completed airborne school and army ranger school. Chris married the love of his life, Kelsey, and they settled into life at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where Chris joined Charlie Company, 1st Battalion, 508th Parachute Infantry Regiment, part of the 82nd Airborne on May 18th, 2009. And then in September of 2009, Chris deployed with his unit to Afghanistan, where he would lead a platoon in combat. Then on Tuesday, July 13th, 2010, Chris was killed in action while repelling an insurgent attack on an Afghan police compound in Kandahar City. 10 years after his death, we come together to remember Chris and honor his lasting impact on all of our lives. We celebrate a man that made us laugh, think deeper, feel special, believe in ourselves, grow in our faith, and live more intentionally. Chris, we love you and we miss you. You truly were the best among us and we carry you with us wherever we go. Jenny Huff is Chris's sister. She's the events and website coordinator for the Minneapolis area Synod and lives in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Being really little, he like would beat us up all the time. And um, we had all of our little, like, so we had an older brother and I have a twin sister and we all had our little techniques that we knew would like irk the other one the most. And so, <laughs> and I, my sister and I would always hold hands and say, double, double trouble and like run and try to attack Chris. And um, that was a big part of growing up with Chris. <laughs> um, and, you know, he was always like a prankster in school and he would bring that into, bring that home too. Um, and so he'd get in trouble for that at school and then he'd get in trouble for that at home. <laughs> um, so he was always like playing little tricks on us and stuff. Um, he was also always playing with his army men and he had a, a tree fort in the backyard and he had like full like I don't even know what you would call it but army men built up and they were had a whole battle going on and it was like days long battle and he knew where they all would go and everything so like I feel like the army was just in his blood um <laughs> and he always wanted to play risk and he'd always beat everyone at risk and it was so annoying <laughs> um yeah but just you know he was good at everything and it was kind of like that always growing up <laughs> trying to live up to him kind of thing um but as he got older and he sort of like found his faith um he changed a lot and he became a lot more loving um and you know he was just growing up i'm sure too but he 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 cared a lot more about us and what we were feeling what we were going through and um one thing in particular for me is that chris and i often used to work out together and um chris would always encourage me and like help set up workout plans and running plans and stuff like that for me, which is a big reason why I'm doing the 5k, um, thing, because that's a thing that we would do together. And, um, and so actually before his deployment, um, he came home and he intentionally had one-on-one -on -one time with each family member, mm -hmm. um, which just says a lot about him and how much he cares about his family and, you know, like, he just really, his relationships, and he just really wanted to spend that time with each of us and um, just like ask questions and like just, you know, have some quality memories and stuff. And him and I went to the gym and, <laughs> um, and we talked about stuff like, you know, I was like, what if you die? And he's like, well, I, well, he said, I'm a soldier. I'm trained not to die. Right. But, 
<laughs> um, you know, like just real questions. And he would totally like entertain that stuff. Um, and we talked a lot about our faith. We had a really close bond about that. And that was something that for him kind of came into his life in high school. Um, and he ended up going to the same church that my sister and I were going to already with some friends. And we like just totally bonded over that too. And so um, as he was older and like at West Point and stuff, we would talk all the time, like share scriptures and pray together and stuff like that. So um, yeah, those are a few things. Um, but he was just, he was such a protector. We grew up in kind of a tough um, family situation and he was always um, watching out for me and my sister and, um, you know, checking in on us and stuff. And, um, yeah. And he was so funny. He was so funny. <laughs> and he would just like sit around playing his guitar, making up songs about whatever was happening around him in the room, you know, and, uh, just some of the stuff that came out of his head. It's like, where the heck did that come from? You know, like, um, but it was fun. We just laughed together a lot. And, um, the four of us kids had a really close bond and um, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> Aaron Jorick Lavoy is one of Chris's friends from childhood and school. She is now a yoga and movement teacher and lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Chris and I grew up together. We lived in the same neighborhood. He just lived down the street from me. And so he was one of my earliest friends. Um, early on, Chris kind of lived to pester me he had a big crush on me. So like he would sit with me on the school bus and I would, you know, for no reason, I would just cry because I didn't want Chris Kiki to sit next to me. And he would try and impress me by reenacting um, scenes from movies like uh, Dumb and Dumber and uh, Wayne's World. He knew a lot about The Simpsons. Um, for whatever reason, I this memory always sticks with me. We were in first grade, the same class of first grade, and we had like vocabulary days, and we would have these flashcards with the specific words. And our teacher asked us to hold up the word "but," B-U-T, and everyone in the class holds their flashcard up. And of course, Chris had to add an additional T to the word "but," and he thought it was so funny. Um, you know, in, in middle school. Chris and I, we became friends. It was less of Chris pestering me and, and we became more friendly. And I just remember like sitting at the park in our neighborhood for hours at night and, and we would just talk. And I just, I remember thinking, he's so smart and he's so much smarter than me. And I don't know half the things he's talking about, um, but I know it's important and I know I should listen. Um, like giving me life advice, you know, in sixth grade. Um, God, he was so smart. You know, in, in high school, we were in a, a, like a variety show performance together and, and senior year, he was playing the drums on the song Come Sail Away. And he like halfway, you know, through the song, he like rips his shirt in half. And um, so I think my, my big takeaway from Chris and, and that I, I try to remember in, into adulthood is that um, you can be really smart and you can be very insightful, um, but at the same time, it's really important to be kind and it's really important to like not take yourself too seriously because Chris was always so funny. He always um, he would always kind of lighten lighten the situation, although like he had really deep things to share. Um, it always stayed really light. Scott Wigan is one of Chris's childhood friends. He's now an additive manufacturing research engineer at Collins Aerospace and lives in Egan, Minnesota. I've been friends with, with Chris since uh, we were in second grade. Um, I truly feel lucky to have been friends with Chris. Um, really, really an honor to know, know him, be friends with him. Um, he was just, simply put, he was, he was just... Uh, best friend anybody could really ever ask for um what i'll remember most about chris is that uh he was he was hilarious um he made me laugh harder than just about anybody he could make anything funny any activity funny everything from you know we played 
tennis and we were doubles partners and, and uh, you know, we'd always be kind of goofing around on the court or like we thought it was kind of fun to wear like a ton of bandanas and wristbands and kind of goof off and maybe maybe goofed off a little too much and that's why we weren't very good tennis players but um you know he, he loved the simpsons and so he was always quoting the simpsons when he was younger and basically knew every episode by heart um yeah he was just simply put just the funniest guy um i had ever met just uh after hanging out with him you, you know you got always kind of hurt from laughing so hard um you know but at the same time he um he, he he knew how to like flip the switch and be this this very serious guy and and, um, and have, have really good conversations. Um, you know, he I, I think he liked the debate uh, kind of almost more than anything. And so you'd obviously you, you you'd oftentimes be like having a discussion or a debate about something, and he'd have some flip sides, and he just started arguing the other point. And I think he did it just because he liked. Uh, he liked the debate. He liked the discussion. He liked getting you to think about both sides of the issue. He liked, um, you know, kind of, kind of boxing you in in some sort of little, you know, trapping you in, in whatever uh, your opinion is. Um, and he was really good at it. Um, but you'd always come away from this this conversation on, on nearly any topic, feeling like you you understood better. Um, you had a new viewpoint. You you learned something. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of things in the, in the world and in family life or, or my kids, um, that, that really, um, I, I, I wish I could, you know, have that debate with him and, and, uh, and get his opinions and, and see how he'd, uh, he'd get me thinking about things in a little different way. Um, but growing up, Chris and I were, were, uh, a lot of different activities together. Um, you know, ultimate frisbee was, was just one that, uh, that I just really have so many fond memories of my trials and other that, that, uh, all throughout high school, being on the same, uh, we're on the same mock trial team and, and, uh, we're typically kind of the, you know, the mock trial lawyers. And so that's, that's, um, that's something that, that, uh, always makes me think of Chris as well. Um, you know, one, one thing that, that, uh, one thing about Chris that, that I always think about is he would have been so successful in anything that he did. Um, he was, he was brilliant and, um, you know, he could have been anything from a you know, philosopher, musician, engineer, lawyer, anything. Um, but he, he was such a natural leader that, um, that West Point and, and the military just really kind of were, were a natural fit for him. Um, it, it was kind of funny, you know, knowing him from the time that we were so little and then watching us become you know, adults. Um, he, he was always a leader and he was always getting people, you know, kind of follow him just naturally. Uh, when we were kids, it would often lead to uh, some mischief and, you know, doing something weird and some scheming and some, you know, fort or, or some prank that we're pulling on somebody. But, um, but then when he, you know, as he grew up and, and became the man that he became, um, clearly took that in a, in a, in a really more impactful route, uh, in the military. And, and it's just really not, not surprising at all that, uh, he decided to go to West Point and, and then was incredibly successful there. Um, just being how smart he was, how great of a leader, and, uh, and uh, he, was, he was quite the athlete as well. Rick Ferreira is one of Chris's high school friends. He's now a solar power plant manager and lives in Oakland, California. I met him about 20 years ago, uh, almost exactly, actually, uh, in the fall of 2000 at football practice before ninth grade started. Um, him and a bunch of his friends said, come from a middle school that I didn't go to. So uh, it was a whole new group of people and, and friends. And uh, you know what I remember most about him right from, or almost right from the beginning there. Uh, it was around the time, some people might remember, it was around the time when the XFL, I think it was the Extreme Football League was starting. Uh, and Chris was trying to round people up to watch it. And uh, I don't actually really recall ever watching more than maybe one game, if that. Uh, I don't know if there ever was any more than that. But, um, you know, right from the beginning, right from... Uh, the beginning of when I knew him, at least in uh, ninth grade, Chris, what I remember is that he, you know, was always organizing people to do things. Uh, he was always trying to find opportunities for, uh, for people to sit down, sit down together and, and talk to each other and, and do something interesting. Um, the qualities that stood out the most to me about Chris, uh, you know, I'd have to say um, curiosity is the word I'm looking for. Um, 
curiosity and connection. Uh, he was, you know, always trying to trying to spend time with people, trying to talk to people about big questions. And I, like I said, you know, always trying to do new things. You know, one thing that uh, that really sticks out to me is that when I'm in my hometown, uh, where we grew up, uh, there's this there's this road that passes by some unused or undeveloped land. It's it's just forested. I'm not sure if it's a park or, or what, but I mean, most people probably just buy, drive by without thinking, but for, for whatever reason, um, one day, probably after 10th grade or after 11th grade, Chris called me and wanted to go like go for a walk or something. And uh, we went there and we found these two trees. You could climb up and sit maybe you know, like head level off the ground, maybe like six feet up, I don't know, 10 to 15 feet apart from each other. And uh, I just, you know, remember all these funny things uh, about Chris, including that, you know, he would want to just go play outside, walk in the woods, climb trees, even like well into high school or later. Major Mary Alice Noel is one of Chris's West Point classmates. She's now an army doctor and lives in Columbus, Georgia. Chris is very intentional. And it's something that I find that I love about my own husband that I have now. Um, uh, just this intentionality of every time you spoke with him, it was not a lighthearted conversation. It usually got pretty serious pretty quick. And, and he really wanted to know how, how you were doing. If he asked how you were doing, he meant, how are you doing? And he wouldn't let things slide uh, because he cared so deeply about people. Uh, so one of the stories that really reminds me of Chris's character and his intentionality was during our freshman year, I got really busy with everything. I was on the crew team and had a lot of other requirements from school, as many of us did. And so I stopped attending Tuesday night OCF, the Officers Christian Fellowship Bible Study, and he noticed. And one evening, he, I don't remember how we came to meet up, but he met me, we were outside the library, and he gave me a copy of My Utmost for His Highest. And then he also gave me a, um, a, a letter and <laughs> a little circle that said around to it, the T-U-I-T. And it was, a, it was an encouraging letter to remember what my calling was to first to Christ. And to remember that in the midst of all the busyness, that our commitment to Christ is the most important thing. And he encouraged me to step up, to lead my classmates as I kind of started with that fervor and passion at the beginning of, of our freshman year, to step up and lead again and to not let all those extra things pull me away from what was the most important. And that was the most I still have that letter. I, it's in a scrapbook downstairs. And uh, I recently came across it and just how much someone would care. You know, we had known each other for six months. Like I'd never had a Christian brother before who had demonstrated such care as to take time to write a letter to me personally, give me a copy of a tremendous devotional that stuck with me through, I would say the next probably seven or eight years. I used that, that devotional regularly. And, um, he, he had that ability to, to see, I guess, potential or, or get to see, you know, what people could be. And he pushed people towards that. And I, I know he did that in all areas of his life, not just in his Christian community. Um, but that, that intentionality of communication was, was really powerful to the point where he all gave us all CDs of recordings of himself with songs that he wrote, um, which is probably one of the most incredible uh, gifts that I've ever received is, is getting to have his voice, you know, to hear, you know, we spent so many, you know, random nights with him pulling his guitar and just playing and singing, uh, especially when we were seniors. And so that was just really neat. I remember seeing his uh, studio at Bragg that he, uh, he had created uh, with Kelsey and uh, Chris's ability to communicate intentionally to people um, came in many forms and fashions. And this, that's really has stuck with me uh, my entire life. I'll never forget it. It was um, the first time I'd been called in a sense of accountability. Um, one of the verses in Hebrews um, that it really, it, it reminds me of Hebrews 10, uh, 20, tw starting in 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that verse of, you know, don't forget 
to, to spur one of each, each other on to, to gather together. It's so important. And that rings so true in our lives today as um, we are members of our Christian community, and, and that is the lifeblood of where we um, get encouragement. We, we are admonished and we're encouraged, and uh, it's, it's really a, tremendous that he, at the young age, what, we were 18, already, already understood that. And I remember Chaplain Lindemeyer always talking about how he was always wise beyond his years, and, uh, and that was true, that he had lived almost so much more life by the time the Lord took him I, you know, I think he had lived so much of the life, <laughs> like I'm mature enough now to see 10 years later, he, he had so much of that maturity. Kimberly Jung is one of Chris's West Point classmates. She is the former CEO of Rumi Spice and currently lives in Boston, Massachusetts. Chris Geiki and I were in the same company at West Point, company B1, Barbarians, and we were in the same B squad. I remember Chris having to eat peanut butter out of a spoon a certain way for the squad leader and all the times that we did lots of push-ups and sit-ups and carrying heavy stuff together for Beast. And we also did Buckner together as well. And I remember that Chris was always making sure that he could carry other people's loads in addition to his own. Chris has always been a leader from a very early age and he showed that um, when he was always supporting other people. And I remember also when I was on Sandhurst team and I was running the course and my father was there as well and Chris was also running behind the team and my dad told me that Chris was right behind him the whole time to make sure that my dad wouldn't trip and fall and that really touched me for a very long time. I also distinctly remember when I was kind of pushing away my faith and I was sharing that with Chris and he came to my room every night for one week and shared scripture with me and did some biblical readings. And I remember thinking, why are you doing this? You know, you have so much on your plate. I think he was doing brigade duties at that time already in the leadership positions. And we had so many classes and extracurricular activities to, um, to finish. And yet Chris took the time and the energy to come to my room as a good friend and to share um, his faith and, and share scripture with me. And that, that stuck with me for a while. Major Kevin Canary is one of Chris's West Point classmates. He is now an army surgeon and lives in New York City. He's one of the most multi-dimensional people I've ever known. Um, but the, there's one thing that really stuck out to me to this day that still kind of penetrates me when I think about Chris is, I, the one word I would use to describe him would be thoughtful. It kind of makes sense. He was a philosophy major. Um, but for those people out there who didn't know him, he wasn't a philosophy major that was, you know, in it for the easy grades. He was acing his engineering courses better than all the rest of us in math and sciences. But uh, it, he just, everything that he encountered or interacted with, he thought to understand it. Uh, and you know, uh, this is something that I didn't appreciate back then, and I've learned to appreciate more over time. Um, he was open-minded, um, and a lot of times this irritated me. Um, we would have conversations, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's something about being 18, 19, maybe I'm just unique, but I was very kind of dogmatic about beliefs back then. And Chris just would not accept the narratives that I had accepted and he would challenge me on them and on, on, on many different things. And I would just, I remember being like, man, this guy, like, you know, he, he I don't know why he doesn't just accept things for how they are. Like, this is the truth. Um, and it, it's taken me years uh, to realize how far ahead he was of me um, in fo as far as thinking and understanding and not accepting the narrative. He always would challenge it. You know, it was like, I, I even remember, uh, this is, I had talked to his, his wife, you know, Kelsey about this, his wife, uh, you know, whether it's his religion, his politics, but he also examined the love of his wife to the point of like, to her and like, and to us. And like, after he was married and like, you know, why would, why do we do this? Why do I love her? Is this really a thing? You know, like just things that like, you know, the rest of us accept and, and, and go on in life with, but Chris, that, that wasn't Chris. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's really kind of uh, the, the biggest thing that sticks out to me is, is, is his thoughtfulness. Quinn MacArthur is one of Chris's West Point classmates. He's a former Green Beret and now works in real estate development in Orlando, Florida. 
We both branched infantry, so we went through officer basic courses together in ranger school and then went on to our first assignment as platoon leaders at the 82nd, where we uh, we cut the tail end of our the train up with our respective units before deploying to Iraq, generally about the same time. So a quick story about Chris that I think will resonate with those who knew him well. You know, I can't, I can't remember what exact training exercise it was, but we were out in the woods somewhere at Fort Benning, and we'd been out for several days. And um, the instructors had called a pause to the exercise. So we were taking a break. And we were all filling up our water, cleaning up or whatever. And all of us were a little dirty, uh, not too bad though. And we were, you know, we all generally looked the same with dirt here and there, kind of what you'd expect. Everyone was a little dirty and hungry and unhappy. Everyone's a little ticked off that we're still out there. Uh, and that's everyone, everyone except for Chris. He was probably the exact opposite of, of what I just described. He, um, I, I came across Chris, we were at like a water station filling up water and, and I saw him and, and first he wasn't just a little dirty here and there. He looked like an absolute disaster. Um, there was mud caked on his face for some reason. Uh, his uniform was in shambles. Equipment had straps everywhere, his pack and his kit, just, just all over the place. Um, but that was just him. You know, he was probably out working hard somewhere and helping somebody. He was just, he was just a mess. Uh, but he was smiling and he didn't really care. And his attitude was somehow upbeat and cheery. He was engaging and he actually wanted to talk to other people. Uh, and that's just who he was. The situation and the actual circumstances came second. And I think Chris just had a way of prioritizing more important things. Uh, rewinding a little bit back to West Point, Chris and I would meet weekly for a good portion of our time at school, we'd pray together, we'd read scripture, uh, but most of the time we'd, we'd discuss some of the content of the books that we'd been reading. Um, and, and as many know, Chris was kind of on another level intellectually. So naturally his books were, were, were way smarter, deeper, and just very philosophical. We'd often get a laugh, honestly, at how, how little I had to uh, how much I had to pretend that what he was even talking about half the time. But uh, we always met up despite our busy schedules. We shared a passion for C.S. Lewis's works. And it was really during those times uh, and these discussions that I really learned about Chris's character and how he thought and um, how he viewed the world. And I also learned how good of a communicator he was. Um, he was probably one of the best listeners that I've ever met. Um, just the way he communicated was so intentional, what he said, what questions he'd ask, uh, the intensity with how he listened. You just really don't see that. And he truly cared, um, for what, what was being said. And he had a hunger to learn and to grow. He wanted to understand the meaning and the purposes, uh, of what you were saying. And I think this is such an uncommon trait is really why it stood out to me. Um, and at the end of the day, what made Chris so unique in this way is, is that he had the spirit of Christ living in him. And it was just so apparent. He, he was a very strong Christian believer, and his faith was, was rooted deeply in Scripture, and he lived that out. Uh, he lived out that Christ-like example of what uh, it looks like to, to really lean into relationships, listen intently, uh, love Christ and love others really well. Uh, without a doubt, this, uh, his example to me in this way was absolutely how Chris changed my life and um, just one of the many reasons why I will miss him. John Boxdans is one of Chris's West Point classmates. He now works at Facebook and lives in Austin, Texas. I became close friends with Chris during our plea beer at West Point in 2004. Like most cadets, Chris always impressed me with how he was driven for a purpose greater than himself. And there are a lot of really impressive people at West Point, but Chris truly stood out as someone who was just seemingly good at everything that he did. He was a straight A student. He was so strong and fit that he could embarrass me in the gym. He was this talented musician and on and on. But what really made Chris unique is that he had a passion for living authentically 
and for learning and for reading and for learning and understanding how other people think. Not just what they think, but why and, and what drove them. And a great example I have of this is that I remember one weekend at West Point, Chris was really excited to bring together a group of friends to watch this documentary DVD that he had just picked up. This is before the days of YouTube and Netflix where it was easy to you know, just scroll and find any documentary that you might want to watch. But instead, Chris sought this one out because it was a discussion all about how science and religion kind of teach us the way we know the things that we know and, and explanate in a discussion of you know, whether or not these things are true. And I remember this so clearly because this documentary was weird. Uh, the ideas, just I had no idea who these people were. I, I didn't understand a lot of it. But Chris wasn't trying to tell us what to think. He wasn't trying to persuade us. Instead, he was just excited to see how we thought about it. And if we disagreed with something, why? Uh, Chris was just excited to learn alongside us. And, you know, Chris wasn't always understood. Uh, he uh, wasn't the type of person who fit into any one person's expectations or mold. But that didn't matter to him. Now, Chris wasn't trying to, to fit in or he wasn't worried about his image. Instead, I, I saw him live a life where he just wanted to serve and love those around him. And, and he pulled together a community through our time at West Point. Many of these friends are still my closest friends to this day. Who on a regular basis, weekly, we'd come together to talk about what matters most in life. We'd talk about religion and who we wanted to be as men. And I saw Chris's just servant heart in no better way than the way he treated his wife, Kelsey, who was just his perfect match in her intellect and her ability. And I loved sharing life with Chris. Rajiv Srinivasan is one of Chris's West Point classmates. He now works at LinkedIn and lives in San Francisco, California. My favorite memory of Chris Gakey is no doubt our time together at aerosol school at Fort Drum. And the context was that we both actually failed out of aerosol school the first time. And uh, we were sitting there demoralized, wondering how we're going to get a chance to prove ourselves again. And uh, we ended up getting lucky, found slots at Fort Drum, we ship up on there. And it was grueling. It was hard. It was stressful. And every step of the way, Chris Gakey was there with me, encouraging me, helping me train and get better at these very tedious skills that were so detail-oriented, but you could just see this determination and passion that would just elevate me to become the best version of myself. Um, I also remember during that time, he was corresponding with this strange girl named Kelsey that he had just met. And uh, you could see it in his uh, excitement every, every time she came up in conversation, just like how true that love was from the beginning. And I remember seeing him uh, writing those letters with a little smile on his face. He was always in a cheery mood. And uh, in many ways, I think Kelsey got him through that very grueling school. And then he got me through that very grueling school. So Kelsey, we all really thank you for helping us graduate. Lance Dietz is one of Chris's West Point classmates. He's now a venture capitalist at KB Partners and lives in Chicago. I'd like to share just a few stories about Chris that stick with me to this day um, and kind of influence my life going forward. First is when I got to meet Chris first year at West Point, uh, we really only started to get to know each other senior year, our first year. And one of the first experiences was when we both had a duty shift at the Central Guard Room and Chris was in charge. And I can remember coming away from that night thinking, wow, for a job, a duty, and an additional duty as crappy as sitting at a desk, making checks around the campus. Um, Chris was very detailed, uh, process-oriented, and held a high standard. And, you know, to this day, that idea sticks with me. Um, and it's something I think about in, in all jobs I've had, you know, personally and professionally. Second story. Uh, is when I went to Israel with Chris and a few other people. Uh, Faith-related trip after graduation from West Point, we all went to Israel. And I can remember there being a very heated argument and debate around certain aspects of faith. And Chris being a person who is, has very strong faith and is very 
deep into his faith. Um, I can't remember being incredibly surprised at how willing he was to dive into the other aspects of the argument here, why people thought about things differently and his desire to understand versus be right. Um, and I think that that really stuck with me. And I think it was an incredible sign of one wanting to learn, but two, and probably more importantly, wanting to build relationships with people and show love to others. So that's another thing that sticks with me. And lastly, uh, just over a year later at that time, Chris and I had ended up in ranger school together and we were in the last phase of ranger school in Florida phase. And we ended up becoming best buddies. They're ranger buddies shared every foxhole together. Uh, and I quickly realized at that point that Chris was going to be a good, a best long time friend of mine from that point forward. Um, when Chris died, I can remember Mary Alice pass sending me an email with a letter or an essay that Chris had wrote reflecting on Ranger school. And she had mentioned that I was in it. Uh, and this was the day after Ranger school that he wrote this. And I was super excited to hear what he thought about, about us and our relationship. And the few sentences I got in this five to six page letter, uh, was him recalling a night in the foxhole where I was apparently crying hysterically because I missed my longtime girlfriend and family. And I, I don't think that's exactly how the story went, but regardless, um, what stuck with me about that is how reflective he was and how he was always journaling, was always finding time to take the experiences, the interactions that he had and reflect on them and use those as learning points going forward in his life. Um, and so those three things, um, all from Chris, stories that I can look back on. Major James Booth is one of Chris's West Point classmates. He's now a lawyer in the Army and lives in Anchorage, Alaska. Chris was honestly one of the most dynamic uh, personalities, I think, that I ever knew. You know, on the one hand, uh, he was so driven to succeed, um, kind of a leader amongst his peers. I, you know, I remember one time, and this would have been before we graduated, uh, about a group of 10 of us uh, went down to New York City. It was about a week before graduation. And we went to a, a family-style uh, Italian restaurant. It would have been, I think, Carmine's. Um, and so we all sat around this table. And it was, you know, like I said, about 10 of us with our, with our girlfriends and our fiancés at the time. And I would say within two minutes of sitting down, he and, and my you know, now brother-in-law, Dan, um, grabbed the menus, uh, made some suggestions, elicited some feedback from the table, but pretty much decided what everybody at the table, you know, was going to eat for that night long before the, 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 the waitress could even come back and get our drink orders. And, and while two minutes might be a little bit of an exaggeration, I think, you know, the point still stands, even at a table full of, you know, type A, uh, soon to be West Point graduates, he was always kind of a step ahead, uh, always out front. And that's kind of the personality um, that he was, but, um, you know, unlike so many people uh, that are, you know, maybe naturally like that, or, you know, kind of the real go-getters of the world, um, Chris just had this uncanny, amazing ability to, I uh, just slow down a conversation, um, just ask incredible, uh, probing questions. I mean, I think he would have been an outstanding lawyer if that was something that he was interested in doing. He really just at the end of the day, like, um, he had an ability to make a mundane topic um, really interesting and really personal and, and, and just listen um, to what you had to say and, and really just made you feel special, uh, honestly. And, um, and, and that's what made him special uh, because, you know, he cared um, and he communicated that in the, in the, he communicated that he cared in the way that he engaged uh, with people, people even like myself who admittedly probably, you know, didn't, know him as, as well as some of the folks that, that you were, um, that you're interviewing. I can't remember hearing about, uh, Chris Gakey's death, uh, when I was in Afghanistan, I can remember the day. I think I found out through either text message or an email with the question, you know, have you heard about Chris and instantly kind of realized that he had passed away. Um, and I remember looking over to the right and saying to my, at the time, platoon sergeant, I think one of my best friends had just been killed. 
I have other memories of Chris where I remember seeing him on the base on Kandahar Airfield. Uh, I was actually on my way out of Afghanistan and he was coming in. And I remember um, on the day that I landed in Bangor, Maine, coming home from Kandahar, um, that's when I got the news that uh, Chris had been killed. And that is always going to stick with me in the back of my mind because, yeah, you know, to come home on American soil and for just a minute feeling safe, feeling uh, relief, feeling so many wonderful emotions. And then to hear that one of my best friends just got killed, what it did for me is for the rest of my life, my heart's always going to be over there. It's just a constant reminder that no matter how safe or comfortable I may be, there's always someone I care about, someone who's serving on my behalf as a soldier that's overseas, that's doing something that I'm very glad that I do not have to do. And, um, not to make light of Chris's passing, but if there's any silver lining to it, I think I'm probably more contextually aware of the people that are fighting and serving on my behalf uh, than I would be otherwise. And especially as I move on into my civilian career, super far out from the military, um, that's just something that's always with me. I wear my bracelet every day. Uh, I have one for Chris Gakey, one for Andy Byers that I alternate through. And um, for the rest of my life, I'll always be thinking about those who are, you know, serving on my behalf. And I really appreciate that. Uh, So lots of love to Kelsey, to Chris, to his entire family out in uh, Minnesota. Uh, You raised an amazing young man. He's an inspiration to me. Uh, Ten years ago, he's an inspiration to me today, and he will be for the rest of my life. Uh, So very grateful to have been a part of his life. Even now, sometimes Chris comes into my dreams, and I remember there's times where, really tough times, and Chris has been there, and he said, Kim, you can do this. I got you. And I always felt like he was a team member, um, no matter where I went. And those, those dreams of him come very, very far and few between, but when they do, um, they make a really big difference. And I wake, I wake up feeling inspired and refreshed, and that's oftentimes what Chris does to people, is he inspires and refreshes people and makes you believe in something, because he always had that quality about him, that you could look up to him, that he was there by your side, that he was working hard beside you. And I can attest to that, because I was in the same B squad as him, and we watched each other grow up throughout West Point. And I wish very sorely that we could have seen what Chris could have become as a leader today. Chris always wanted to go deeper. <laughs> he always he always had another question and, and he always had really, really good questions to the point where my head would hurt sometimes or I would just want to phase out of the conversation because I'm like, this has gone too deep too quickly. Um, and interestingly, my husband is also one of those people who just will go deep and wants to go deep. And, and I think it exposed me to the fact that you know, the, the Christian life is, is there's so much in the Bible that we don't know. There's so much that, that we, we don't know just as surface. Like you just read it one time. There, there's depths to explore in the Bible and, and amongst our, our fellow believers. And so to keep going to deeper, that it's not wrong to ask questions and, and that by asking questions, you really become closer to the Lord as you explore more what the depths of the Bible has for you. So, so that has tremendous impact on my life today um, as we teach our children the Bible and as, we, uh, as my husband and I um, in, interact with our community to, to remember that, again, at a young age, Chris is asking some of these really deep questions that, that um, led him close to the Lord that, that have, you know, those questions have brought me closer to the Lord as well. And even through his death, um, brought me to a different point in my faith where I, I could ask some really hard questions of the Lord, which he answers in his word and he his promises are true and faithful and uh and the, the the feeling of contentment or joy is so much deeper than happiness and just having everything go right in your life um so that was um that's really what chris has brought brought to my life i i know that chris has changed my life because he showed me that as long as i'm living for a purpose greater than myself i don't need to worry about trying to fit into the expectations of what I think others want from me. Uh, instead, he taught me to never stop learning and uh, to just work as hard as I can for the things that matter, even if I'm not always understood. And he taught me to love and value those around me and what they think, even if I don't always understand them. 
10 years later after Chris's death, a lot still doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why he's not here anymore and I am. But what I do know is that when we lost Chris, I vowed that I would live the rest of my life like every day counts. I vowed that I'd live a life that's authentic and true. And I want to live a life that I can be proud of, just like I can be, like I am so proud of the life that Chris lived. Uh, and I'm so proud to know that he's made that kind of impact on everyone who knew him. When I think about him, um, and I, I try to be okay with not knowing. Chris, Chris was okay with that. Chris was okay with pondering, and he was okay with silence. And he was okay with uh, kind of being uncomfortable um, and because of, of his thinking. Um, and so uh, I'm really bad at that. And um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, though, um, in being quiet and pondering. And um, so, um, and then, and just the tremendous light loss he is for our country. I, you know, I just try to, um, you know, live in a way that, uh, you know, would make him proud and make his legacy worthwhile. I was realizing the other day, I knew him for about as long as he's been gone, about 10 years. Um, and it's a hard question, Cal. Um, my wife, Andrea, she never got a chance to meet Chris, um, but obviously I talk about him. Uh, and he's someone that I have always kind of struggled to put into words. You know, he's a very unique person. I've uh, rarely met anyone like him. And in fact, uh, when I do meet people who are, somewhat like him it's striking you can kind of see oh wow there's that that spark or that kind of zest to be out there doing things and and uh engaging with new ideas um you know i just i try to get out and do things i try to get out and learn new things i try to get out and and spend time with people and and talk about big questions um those are those are things i very much think i learned from chris or at least learned how to do um in in partnership or in friendship with chris um you know there's this great story uh that my dad told me, I, I think I was sleeping when it happened, but uh, my family had a cabin up in Northern Minnesota and a bunch of friends went up there one weekend, including Chris. Um, and some of them took a pontoon out on the lake. They went kind of around this peninsula. It's not a big lake, it's maybe a hundred acres. And uh, my dad found Chris barefoot uh, walking up the road to a cabin and then down the driveway. Uh, and he could tell Chris had, uh, just walked barefoot down a gravel road a lot longer than he had been intending to. But I guess Chris had jumped out of the pontoon and swam to shore and decided to run or walk back to the cabin around the lake. And he didn't really know, you know, there was a swamp in between him and the road and uh, the road cut around different bays and was, was longer than he was expecting. But that my that memory just sticks in my, in my mind because he was someone who was, uh, if he wanted to do something, he didn't really worry about the fact that it would be hard to do or maybe uncomfortable to do. Uh, like, you know, in this case, walking along a gravel road in his bare feet uh he just did it uh and didn't complain and uh showed up with sometimes a kind of a dopey smile on his face if he knew that he'd like gotten a little bit a little bit over his head and uh so anyway uh it's a it's a that's a, a lesson that i i really learned from chris and 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 that is just to uh, like to get out and do things uh, if you're concerned about the exertion or the effort or discomfort or whatever it's probably not going to be as bad as you're worried about and it'll probably uh, some good will come out of it. Uh, at least in my experience and things like that with Chris, uh, it always did. This really gets at how Chris has, has changed my life. Even, you know, 10 years later, um, it would have been about December of, of 2008 and it was, uh, Chris and Kelsey's wedding. Right. Um, I remember receiving an invitation, uh, for the wedding and, and to be perfectly, you know, honest, uh, with you, it, shamefully and, and, and maybe quite you know, frankly selfish, I really didn't give the wedding invite all that much consideration um, at the time. It, it was, uh, I, I don't remember where the wedding was, but I, I think it, it probably was in New Mexico. Um, it was around Christmas time, the week after Christmas. Uh, we were getting ready, you know, myself, I was getting ready for ranger school, um, had a wedding coming up, was going to uh, be reassigned to Schofield Barracks in Hawaii and honestly just wanted to take that time to spend time with the family, spend time with my fiance. Um, and you know, before, before moving out to Hawaii. And, um, so I didn't go to the wedding. Um, fast forward uh, a few months, uh, later, uh, to June, 2009, uh, it was my wedding, right? Uh, Caroline and I got married up in, in at West Point. 
Um, and Chris would have at that point moved on from Fort Benning. He would have been presumably a, a brand new platoon leader uh, at uh, with the 82nd Airborne Division, uh, which would have required you know a lot of time in the field, uh, but pretty intense time. A lot of our classmates at the time, I mean, would face some of the you know the same challenges. And, and quite frankly, some of my best friends from school um, who would have otherwise been in the wedding party uh, were not able you know to go to our wedding, and that was you know completely understandable. Um, but I remember Chris made the effort. He made the effort to come up to West Point. Uh, he made the effort, you know, to be there um, for us. And that really, I mean, it, it did, it certainly hit me at the time. Um, you know, it, it, you know, by taking that time, by making that effort, uh, he certainly, you know, made us, um, you know, feel special. Um, but as, you know, fate would have it, you know, that was the last time um, that we would, you know, that we would see Chris. Uh, he went on to, Fort Bragg, like I said, and then then on to Afghanistan, deployed to Afghanistan, and, and Caroline and I went to Schofield Barracks in Hawaii, and, and then on to Iraq. Um, and so, you know, shortly after he died, uh, you know, I obviously you know, spent a lot of time thinking and, and reflecting, and and went back to you know our respective weddings, and and was just struck by the effort that he made um, and the effort that I did not make. And, you know, of course, had he not come to our wedding, I certainly um, wouldn't have thought any, you know, less of him. Um, but because he did come, um, because he did make that effort, you know, like I said, he made us feel special. Um, it, like we were worth his time. And so I guess the takeaway is maybe somewhat cliche, but, you know, life is short. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, many of us don't know, you know, when we'll be making that last impression. Uh, on someone. Um, but, you know, at least for Chris and for me, that last impression was, you know, selfless and it was generous and it was giving of his time. And, you know, of course, if I could do it all over again, I would certainly go to Chris and Kelsey's wedding, but, you know, obviously I can't, but there really hasn't been a wedding, um, or a graduation or any, you know, significant life event, um, that's, you know, come up since where I haven't thought about Chris. Um, and been a little bit more resolved to, you know, be giving of my time or, you know, my attention. And, and that's, a, that's a direct result of, of his influence on my life and, and quite frankly, just the person uh, that he was. His uh, undying love for Kelsey was always uh, like one of the most adorable, disgusting things that we all saw. Uh, he wrote her letters, you know, basically every day from the day he met her um, till the day they got married. And one of my biggest regrets in life is not going to that wedding, but um, it was a beautiful thing um, that they had, and, and we miss them so much. I think about him daily, probably like many of you, wear a bracelet uh, memorializing him and his wife. And, you know, I miss you, Chris. Looking forward to seeing you again one day. Love you. So we come up on like the 10-year 10, 10 anniversary of, of Chris's death. I I've been trying to reflect upon that a lot. You know, don't take yourself too seriously. Like, like lean into your intelligence, like be willing to share um, the things that you know and share your wisdom with other people, but try and stay light and, and keep things comical. I really remember the community in Apple Valley where, uh, where Chris is from. Uh, when, when we went there for the funeral, um, Nick and I were able to fly together. Uh, they could come home from deployment and uh, we were able to fly together to Apple Valley and meet. And it was almost like a homecoming. Like when we got to the airport, all of our, all of our really good friends we hadn't seen in a long time were there. And to get to meet the community that raised Chris, it was just an incredible experience to get to interact with his sisters and uh, and his mom and just all of his really close friends um, to get to experience that time, that season that's just so unique where it was just so heartbreaking, but at the same time, so joyful to see how, uh, how his, you get to meet all the people who, who impacted his life to make him who he was when I met him as a freshman. That was a, that was a beautiful time. And I don't think a lot of people say that about funerals, but uh, it really was a beautiful time uh, of, of rejoicing over Chris's life. And I hope that this podcast, uh, what you're getting to do, will do the same as we all get to hear stories that we probably didn't know about Chris. I moved uh, away from Minnesota where we grew up shortly after uh, Chris passed away. Um, 
yeah, I live in California now, so I'm not back here all that often. Um, but when I am and, you know, I get a chance to spend time with people, including Chris's family, uh, you know, it's just, it's clear that it's no accident that Chris was the way he was, you know, um, his parents, his sisters, his brother are all just inquisitive, uh, determined, caring, uh, curious people, um, who, who formed Chris to be the way that he was. And then it's just, you know, it's beautiful to see him, uh, live on in, in those ways. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only person who's shared, uh, that he was, uh, a rare and, and unique and remarkable guy, uh, who I learned a lot from. Um, and I think probably the best testament to that is just, you know, 10 years later when something big happens in the world or, or in my life or in the life of a loved one, um, I, it, you know, poses deep questions, maybe, you know, moral dilemmas. Um, I still think that it, you know, my first reaction is kind of, uh, that I, I'd love to talk about this with Chris. I wonder what he would think. You know, I remember my first thought, um, when Chris passed away was, uh, obviously you're sad and, and, uh, upset and, and all, all those things that are, you know, human responses to tragedy. But I also remember there was just like this clear, uh, clear thought that popped into my head. And it was just like, wow, I hope, uh, I hope today Chris found the answers to all those big questions he was always asking. Um, and I'd love to ask him about that. We miss Chris Geeky. We miss you a lot. And, you know, we think about you every day. What do you think he would want to say to all of us? who are reflecting on him and thinking about him? I don't think he would want us to be sad. <laughs> um, you know, especially, I mean, you know, I know what you believe, but I believe he's in heaven and I believe he's just having a great time up there, you know? And he's like, whatever, dude. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> don't feel bad for me. <laughs> Which is honestly a big part of like, my being able to like you know it's just like thinking that like ugh, i want to be there like you know and like he's so lucky <laughs> um but i i i like to think that like he was proud of of being a soldier and he was proud of that part of him but i also think that like he would say, it's not just about me, right? That there are a lot of soldiers and there are a lot of people who were killed in action. There were a lot of people that like deserve that honor too. Um, and so like, don't forget about them. Um, and I just, that humility, <laughs> I think that would have, that would play a role probably. Um, yeah. And I guess I think um, he was so good at building people up and encouraging people. And I just think that there would have been some sort of, of that, you know, like I can just kind of picture him kind of meeting each of us, like where we're at and somehow knowing exactly what we needed to hear and giving us that, you know? Ginny treasures this voicemail from her brother to this day. Hey, Jan, it's Chris. On my eight hour break from Ranger School, I passed the first phase, which is great news. So now I'm moving to the mountains tomorrow. Just want to call and let you know, and uh, hope everything's going well on your end. I'll be able to talk to you more in hopefully a few weeks. All right. Love you. Bye. Thank you so much to all of you that have watched or listened today. If you'd like to do something in response to this, please consider supporting the Warrior 196 Foundation. This is a 501c3 with a mission to honor and remember Chris and four other men from Independent School District 196 who paid the ultimate sacrifice. And they do so by providing scholarships to young leaders and support to the community. I wanna leave you with one of Chris's favorite quotes. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, 
who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Theodore Roosevelt